How's it going, guys? I'm Zeke. And I'm Jake. And you're listening to Cinema Sideshow Podcast, episode 171. We almost we almost recorded off a, off a dud. Yeah, we we're consummate professionals. We had a test run. Yeah, exactly. Check the, check the levels. We catch it the, before we hit the record button. Normalize and DBs and oh, well. left and right pans <laughs> and... <laughs> Hey, it's 5.1. Uh, <laughs> this show's definitely not mixed in 5.1. <laughs> Can you imagine? I'm over here. I'm over here. Whoa. I'm over here. Whoa. The audience is like, oh, why, why did they freeze for a minute? <laughs> I'm just really good at throwing my voice. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's physical 5.1. Yeah. Because you're literally just moving around. Yeah. Moving I'm your head. Doing that uh, ventriloquist thing of throwing my voice. How are you, Jake? I'm good. I'm doing well. I'm a bit tired. It's a second... What, uh, public holiday, Monday in a row? Yeah. Happy Anzac Day. Or... Yes, exactly. Happy yes. Anzac Day. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, not doing an Anzac Day film? No, we're not. We did it last year, though, if I recall. Mm. Well, we no, did. We that sounds, yeah, because we did Gallipoli. That sounds about the right timing. Yeah, yeah no. Uh, yeah, we chose to do a start off our Countdown Through the Decades retrospective, the third ever. Yeah. I um, guess it's a little early this year. Yeah. Well, hey. Might as well kick it off with the contemporary. Kick it off with the 2022 release. Mm, that's true. Jake, do you have any trivia for me? I do. So, of course, the film we're talking about this week is a very exciting one, Zeke. Everything Everywhere, All at Once. This is the highest rated letterbox film of all time currently. You know what? I'm actually going to check that right now. Still is. It's 4.6. Is it? Yep. Well, the, the average is 4.6, but the number actually doesn't change. Okay, it's still number one. Because it actually is Monday night, I've noticed they update the actual thing. Because well, if I m- move my mouse over it, see, it says 4.59, which is now tied with Parasite. It used to be 4.61 and then 4.60. So it's slowly dipping. Okay. I reckon within the next week will be number two to Parasite. I reckon it's slowly, very slowly dipping, but still incredibly impressive. Mm-hmm. Either way. And... Much like Parasite, I think so much of the film's appeal comes from people, word of mouth, being like, go into this blind, learn as little as you can before watching this film. Uh, So much so, and the filmmakers, I guess they understood that that would be the appeal because the IMDb plotline for this film, prior to the release of the trailer, simply read, a woman tries to do her taxes. (laughs) Which, hey, I think that is still applicable if you wanted to leave it like that, <laughs> that still works. Uh, what about you, Zeke? What's your fun fact? Well, I'm going to just dive into some of the cast, more particularly or concisely, uh, mm. Kuhei Huans, who's actually reprising his first major role in over 20 years. Yeah. Um, and yeah. is most synonymous for his child role in the second Indiana Jones film yeah. as Short Round. Short Round. I didn't know that. And I saw it in the tra- I was like, wow, that's... I, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, but which, you can kind of see it. Now that you're like, oh, that's him. Yeah. yeah. It's a childlike endearment. Exactly, yeah. Um, his performance definitely leans towards that. Well, parts of his performance. There are many, many parts mm. of his performance. But yeah, he was also... I actually wrote this. I was going to mention it later in the show because it ties into some of the, the fighting choreography and scenes and whatnot. But he mm-hmm. was actually an assistant action choreographer in the Jet Li film The One. From 2001, which was a, a bit of a similar premise, because I believe there was actually multiple versions of each character in that film too. Yeah. So obviously, this yeah. film being a 2022 release, not mm. on the poster behind me, Jake, 
does it make your 1100 films to watch it definitely does i mean it definitely yeah. deserves to be on the list yeah for reasons we shall get into <laughs> yeah. i would have to agree yeah um and we'll we'll dive into sort of I'm hot off watching this. Yeah, week. you saw it like an hour ago. Yeah, so <laughs> um, my thoughts are obviously going to be very raw, but yep. very earnest. Um, so we'll talk about that in the second half of the show. But before we mm. jump into that, Jake, have you caught anything in the last week? I have not a lot, but I saw a few things. I'll start with The Northman. Mm-hmm. It's obviously the new Robert Eggers film that came out. It was funny because we had eleven of us. Eleven. Raid the cinema. Went to Palace for like eleven tickets for the Northman, please. <laughs> Which, yes, I did see your photo. Yeah, yeah. I actually just posted it today to Instagram proper. I think it was on my story the other day, but um yeah, that, that number just kept growing by the I mean it was just a shock that everyone's schedules aligned, but what's funny is that wasn't even the antidote of the night. Antidote. The antidote. It's actually a weird spelling if you look that up. They put a C in there for some reason. I don't know. But um, what the the big highlight of the night was actually the fact that like two hours into this film, and this is you know it's Robert Eggers. It's this big epic Viking journey. It sort of sucks you in. Very psychedelic sequences and visuals, and you know it's a very intense film, especially yeah. in a cinema. You know, it's Friday night, so it's virtually opening night, opening weekend. All the people there are like quite excited to see this. They're very respectful. No one's pulling out their phones. and A lot of people go into the bathroom, but whatever. I will forgive it. <laughs> a very respectable audience. We're sucked into this journey. That's good. And two hours in, the movie just freezes. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> so did they come to tell you why? So what happened? We're watching the film, and then it just freezes. Lights turn on. Everyone's like, what the hell? What's going on? This is, this this is part weird. of the movie? Yeah, well, exactly. Uh, we all start making jokes like, wow, this is an interesting creative choice from director Robert Eggers. And we're making jokes. And then, of course, I, I say a bit loudly, more loudly than I should have. But I think at this point, we're having this collective theatrical experience. Everyone's yeah. like, what the hell? I've never had anything like this happen before. No, ever. neither in the, all my life. Yeah. The closest is Fred Claus, the classic Fred Claus, where I think the movie, it started like 10 minutes in and then randomly just like, swapped off and started from the beginning again so we've seen films like stop and start and stop and start i've never seen you just freeze four ended up being 25 minutes we just sat there in an empty theater <laughs> so i was like oh i'm gonna use my comedic chops and i turned to everyone i said thank god this didn't happen during morbius that would have been really tragic <laughs> if our immersion for morbius was ruined uh, but no, but then uh, one of the fine ladies at work there walked in and said apparently it was a fire alarm situation they needed to make sure no one was going to burn alive and die um, over the next 25 minutes before they were allowed to turn the movies back. That's so, crazy. I know. So it happened to every cinema. I don't know how many are there. We were in cinema six, so at least six would have just froze. <laughs> and Imagine some people it- left and never came back. They didn't see the ending of the movie. Really? <laughs> yeah. There's two people behind me. They just didn't come back. I was like, oh. You think they asked for a refund? Uh, we, we probably could have got away with it, but, but we didn't. I feel like I would have asked for a refund because then I could have just seen the movie again. <laughs> like, how much of the movie was left? Oh, uh, maybe like 15 minutes, 20 minutes. Oh, my we God. Were, it was the could've third act. Free, we were right. We were right. got a free theater. movie out of it. Ah, uh, no. I, look, it's it's fine. Like, it, it kind of was like, ah, oh, that kind of sucks. And now I'm talking about the movie freezing as opposed to talking about the movie itself. Mm-hmm. 
So it was kind of sucks on that level, even though it's a funny story. And I got it all on Snapchat. I got the exact moment the film started again because the lights dimmed and then like five seconds later, the film just like, it's like hitting play on the DVD. It just started mm. again. <laughs> um, right back into it. But the actual film itself, um, I thought it was great. Yeah. Robert Eggers doing fantastic job, you know, this big epic Viking story and it, it's very straightforward revenge story i know one of the comments that i like a i think it was a test audience screening and one of the comments someone made i read it word for word you need a master's degree in viking history to understand like anything in this movie and my reaction to that is they didn't watch the lion king because it's just the lion king (laughs) it's just hamlet it's very like we've seen this type of revenge story Mm. over and over and over again it's very simplistic it's just coded in all of this stylistic flair, the music's very bombastic and loud and deep and, like I said, very psychedelic visuals. And we, we all know Robert Eggers. I mean, you know, yeah. The Witch, The Lighthouse. We did The Lighthouse, well, oh, a few months ago I'd, now. Yeah, I'd say five or six months ago. Yeah, it wasn't too long ago. Um, I still think The Lighthouse is probably a better film. Um, although, t- I, you know, I don't think that's that shocking. Because, again, I think it's just a very straightforward narrative in Mm. fact i thought the ending was very deflating it just kind of ends on this sort of not a confusing note but it was a very like didn't really feel like it it, yeah it didn't feel like it had much to say at all about the the themes of of like vengeance and i think that's yeah it's like yeah it's very it's fine you know from that standpoint it's from a cinematography visual standpoint like it's absolutely breathtaking um but I, I definitely think it traded that eerie otherworldliness that Eggers' other films mm. has. Like, when you watch The Lighthouse, you're just sort of viscerally uncomfortable the entire time. You're always on edge. There's always something eerie going on. And this film sort of trades that for, like, scope and epicness. So it kind of loses its Eggers' directorial voice there. I don't think it's a bad exchange, necessarily. It just feels different. It feels more like The Green Knight than The yeah. Lighthouse. Um, and I love The Green Knight, so there is that. So I, th- I think it's great. It's it's definitely not a perfect film. I thought the narrative, it could have had a little bit more to it. But, and again, if it didn't freeze, <laughs> that would have also been nice. But I'm guessing that didn't happen to everyone else. Mm. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I thought it was very good. Very good with The, uh, the Northman. Um, I, like I've been touting for weeks, Better Call Saul Season 6 finally out, so I watched the two episodes. Did, you, did it live up to all of it your... It absolutely yeah. does. It already feels like, ooh, yes, it's only <laughs> tomorrow's like episode three. It's exciting. Um, the thing I will say, and we kind of talked about this, but it was, it was so evident this time, because Season 6 opens with a scene. I actually sent you the scene, which mm-hmm. I think is still a great scene out of context, but within context of watching this... Sh- you know the start of the season be like oh wow i i can feel it now like the writers know definitively how this story ends and and again it's weird because it's a prequel but for me the fun of it is having this gigantic timeline that spans from well if you want to get really technical when you know when jimmy and walter were born in the you know i think i guess they were both born in the 60s or Mm -hmm. maybe was born i don't know but like if you want to get real technical but in terms of the shows like 2002 through to, I guess, 2010, 2011, whenever the gene sequence um, timeline takes place. But for me, what's so exciting is bridging that gap and seeing those all come together, and especially for the characters that aren't in the original show and how those fates get tied up. Because I know it's not as simple as, oh, they just all die. Mm -hmm. It's like, I know there's way more to it. And especially because that first scene, 
not only is it like a really like breathtaking like oh wow like there's there's a, a sense of tragedy here that tells me like okay they know how it's going to end and and we're getting there quickly but it almost completely recontextualizes breaking bad yeah every time i see a soul scene in breaking bad i'm now going to have in my back of in the back of my head a lot of the stuff that's happening in this last season mm. which is just really exciting so i'm very 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 happy with how it's starting how it's going so yeah I only watched one other thing. I don't know if you want to jump in first. Yeah, I mean, I can just quickly tie in some of the stuff that I've watched in the last week. Of course, yeah. Um, in the rom-com slash comedy uh, <laughs> sector, we've got How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, which there's not much to oh of that. It's uh, oh, well. early, mid-2000s Matthew McConaughey rom-com. Have you ever heard are of there, are, the, are there good, useful steps in this film? Uh, it's not for how to get rid of a guy in ten days. No, no. Well, okay, it's Kate so it... Winslet, Matthew McConaughey. It's okay. a pretty easy, consumable film in a in a time before McConaughey's true detective renaissance as an actor. <laughs> um, it's fine. Um, moving on. Um, yeah, we don't, we don't want the, we don't want the ladies to hear this uh, this film. Yeah, uh, we don't want them to get ideas. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm gonna I'll pair these two together and throw it back to you because um, okay. so the next two films I'll talk about have uh, Zac Efron in it, so I'm not gonna get away from the ladies that quickly. Okay, fair uh, enough. <laughs> um, that's all right. Although they can wish for him, but but they won't know the ten steps to get rid of us, so that's okay. One's a little bit more typical contemporary Zac Efron, which is take your shirt off, look hot, and be a bit of a stoner. It's a is, weird title for a film. Um, Mike and Dave need uh, wedding dates, which actually has... Oh, I've heard of this. Um, I've heard of this film. One second. Where are you finding it? Are these all just on Netflix? No, these are all on Disney Plus or Star, oh. more concisely. Oh, Star, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah Disney Plus. So exactly. this has got Zac Efron and Adam Devine and then obviously Anna Kendrick and Aubrey Plaza as a sort of quartet. Yeah, okay. It's funny. It's, uh, it's a bit, bit risque. Quite risque Ooh. for me on Disney Plus Ooh. behind an age gate. I find that quite brave. Um, but yeah, no, it's a funny film. It's a funny. It's pretty much a, a typical sort of raunchy teenager comedy of a bunch of yeah. drop kicks, basically. Kind of the same vibe. Pretty much every one of my friends is free stars, free stars, free stars, including yourself. So yeah, yeah. everyone it's thinks funny. it's fine. Gives you, gives you a laugh. Um, and then the other one, which is actually a 2022 release, which you've probably only brought up in the last couple of weeks, uh, directed by Anthony Hayes, Gold. So this gold. is Gold. Um, Did I bring up Gold? You might have brought it up. It's been not been on stand oh, for too long. I do vaguely remember reading this out for the podcast. Yeah, and basically yes. it's yep. set in a post-apocalyptic. Um, it's it's actually like it's been commissioned by the South Australian. Um, Film Commission, it's clearly, very clearly shot in South Australia. Mm, okay. But the world isn't very Australian. In fact, none of the cast are Australian. They are all American <laughs> or, uh, like, European. It's very... I think what they're trying to do is it's shot in Australia, but they're trying to imply it's America. It reminds me of a certain friend, and we're not going to drop names here, it reminds me of a certain someone in our local community that they got funding from a council to shoot their their production in that council... And just didn't. Yeah. <laughs> That's a vibe I'm getting. It is quite interesting because um, it's a very s- simple film. Like, obviously, it's a post-apocalyptic world and uh, Zac Efron's sort of this lone wanderer with an ambiguous background. And 
basically they find a gigantic piece of gold and one of them goes to go get an excavator and then the other one's just sitting there and gets desert crazy for mm. 80 minutes it's a smart film in the sense that it's clearly not a very expensive film to make it does sure. have some cool desert photography at times um but honestly most pretty pretty boring oh, you know like that's not good. Really a bit nothing to offer I now know, you know, I watched this film, and I was talking about it with Lou, and she says he lives now in Byron Bay, Zac Efron. Oh, okay. So he lives yep. now in Australia. And this does definitely feel like... A lot like of people are moving to Australia. It's just a... I, oh, I wonder, why not? I wonder why. Um, and so I feel like this was very much a film that he just sort of made, because they got him to come on board, and commuting wasn't difficult, and yeah, it was just... It was different film, completely different film to the the previous Zac Efron film. The, yeah, kind of the Zac Efron I've come to know too, because like yeah, Bad Neighbors, the Seventeen and stuff. again. Oh, oh, you're talking about the new, yeah, the new yeah, Zac Efron. Like the, his grown up version is just still a, the extremely still... wicked, shockingly evil and vile Zac Efron. Oh yeah. Oh, Did I, I say that title correctly? Not that bad that movie. This might be actually this episode title might be the longest since that that time we reviewed yeah. that film. <laughs> I didn't even um, think about that. Yeah, look, it's. It's, yeah, I didn't really have too much to offer to it other than that. It's a bit stylistically impressive, simple plot, but, yeah, themes didn't really learn too much from its just under 90-minute runtime, I think it is, so... Yeah, I got 97 here, so it's obviously yeah. the credits and all that. Yeah. Yeah, that's a bit of a shame. Yeah, but I'll throw it back to you before yeah, I yeah. touch on probably the highlight of my week. Well, it is funny that you mentioned Disney+, Plus because the only other thing I saw was a, another four-minute Simpsons short film, which we all know just how much I love the Marvel one. That was, oh, God, what a what a piece of artistry. I can't even pretend. That was absolute <laughs> crap. Um, I can say this new one is slightly less crap. <laughs> so what's the... This one's called When Billy Met Lisa. It's a little Harry Sally reference there, okay. except it's talking about Billy Eilish meeting Lisa Simpson, and they, they, they jam to music. And they're friends, and it apparently it took five writers. Zeke, five writers. That's that's one writer per forty-five seconds, I think. I'm, I didn't do the math on that. To make jokes about how Billie Eilish changes her hair pretty often. Oh, she's blonde now. Well, she's got black hair. Ooh, wow, crazy. Sounds and fun. That, that's the short film. <laughs> well, speaking of comedies, the only other thing I watched this week mm. was a stand-up comedy special. Um, I did talk about, um, this is only her second one she's put out. Um, I think a couple years back I talked about Taylor Tomlinson's quarter-life crisis on the show and how much I enjoyed I do vaguely remember you that talking about this, yeah. opening special because, you know, she's, like I said, she was 25 at the time of that one, actually found her comedy you know and obviously stand-up shows are very subjective we're not i do like a traditional stand-up show we did talk about how great bo burnham's like Mm. inside was but it wasn't really a stand you know it wasn't comedy it was more introspective looking at the the mental yeah well there were definitely jokes peppered throughout but but very different kind of stand-up yeah yeah. and so it's nice it honestly it's nice to just see new shows coming out on on streaming platforms where you Mm. can just watch a 60 minute set play out and you know and this one she talks about how in the last three years, she'd been diagnosed with bipolar and sort of, like, make fun of her. Yeah. Honestly, she's a wildly entertaining comedian and very relatable, which I think is what sets apart good comedians from great comedians. Um, 
the ones that have that relatability, um, the fact that I can get a lot out of her like specials, even though I'm a white dude mm-hmm. and you know she's a female comedian, really says a lot about her talent collectively. And just just a very it was just a very pleasant, nice, tight sixty minute performance. Nothing aesthetically super pleasing about the show's presentation. Sure, I mean like, it's stand up, yeah, yeah. yeah. It has some people put some really good effort in stand up though. Like yeah, no, there's there's definitely well I mean shot stand up. Yeah, I mean inside's a, a weird example because it is so. I mean, if you consider that stand-up, that's very avant-garde. <laughs> but yeah. it's obviously not stand-up what that is. But then, you know, I'm trying to think of just some of the shows that do have a bit more interesting camera work or one of the Bill Burr ones is in black and white, you know. Just, yeah. just little things that... It's a tiny little box for them to, to work within creatively in terms of how they mm-hmm. shoot a stand-up. But, but there is room for yeah. it. Would 100% check out both her specials because she's very funny. Yeah. Um, so... That's all I've watched in the last week, though. Yeah, same. There we go. No worries. Well, Beautiful. do you have anything to add to careers before we move into the final um, week? No, not really. Nothing since the Star Trek thing I talked about last week. I did the last check I had. I always forget this because they, they actually do really good numbers. It was a few days ago. It has that 13,000 views. Yeah, people like fan, crazy. fan films, like that sort of stuff, especially well-made ones. Yeah, well, that's it, and and the comments are just like praising. I mean, they're all of them are like that. I haven't watched many of the of Aaron's Star Trek fan films, but every time I look at the comments, it's like just bathed in compliments. So they're yeah. obviously really well done. I can't comment on it because I don't really know anything about yeah, you get, Star Trek. Especially if you build up enough steam, you get money, that's just money surplusing the next film, the next project. Right. Why? Well, I, I doubt they're making any money off these fan film. I think they probably well because of copyright stuff. Well, yeah, it's it's Star Trek property. That'd be interesting. I, I mean, that's the whole point. Is it's it's a fan film. Like they don't, they can't make money off it, but they're allowed to publish it. It's interesting. I have no it? idea. I imagine that's my that was my assumption. Yeah, because they have full time jobs to and everything. Into that though. Yeah. I wonder if there is a because it's not like you'd be taking that much money or anything. Oh, you? well, they don't, I don't think they spend too much. It's obviously all about the, the production design and the, the sets yeah. and the props, but it's a labour of love and it's like, I didn't get paid to do it. I'm, I'm sure most of the cast and crew didn't get yeah. paid to do it necessarily. Maybe it's honestly, like you said, it's just the affirmation side um, and just... Uh, yeah, well, it's people that are, they they love doing it and they want to do it. For and sure. We should get Aaron on the show one time. Yeah. There no we go. We're producing live on the air. <laughs> That's why at IMDb is we have a cast and producer credits on every single episode. Mm. Check us out on IMDb. <laughs> Jake put a lot of effort into it. Uh, <laughs> it took a long time to log all those. Well, uh, we're jumping into Countdown Through the Decades, retrospective yes. number three. The three eyes. Oh, no. Do in, it. In, in the Roman numerals. Yep. Because I wanted to do that this time around. Um, <laughs> it just <laughs> looks so much more. just decided, yeah. yeah. Um, we're going to be jumping into a, the 2020s, kicking it off mm. 10 weeks. Jake, we had two films duking it out we did who won and what are we watching this week well the two films it was well I'll start with the one that didn't end up winning the uh, oh god the unbearable weight of massive talent look at me go look at me go, go. <laughs> these sentence long titles which I, I was interested to see this week I didn't catch it I'm hearing it's good but I'm also the trailer was a bit like hmm didn't get a lot of laughs when I saw it might have just been a bad crowd doesn't matter but the film that did win on the poll that we're talking about this week. Everything. Everywhere. All at once. I can see where this story is going. It does not look good. 
dimension avant from another universe. I'm here because we need your help. Very busy today. Uh, whole time to help you. Across the multiverse, I've seen thousands of Evelyns. You can access all of their memories, their emotions, even their skills. There's a great evil spreading throughout the many verses. And you may be your only chance of stopping it. Don't make me fight you. I am really good. I don't believe you. He's waiting in the wings. The universe. He speaks of senseless things. Is so much bigger you than you realize. Of all the places I could be, I just want to be here with you. Remember our mission concerning the fate of every single world of our infinite multiverse. There is no way I am the Evelyn you are looking for. Every rejection, every disappointment has led you here. To this moment. Don't let anything distract you from it. Aging Chinese immigrant is swept up in an insane adventure where she alone can save the world by exploring other universes, connecting with the lives she could have led. There's a there's a, there's added parts to it, but I, I feel like I'll just we'll just un unravel that throughout this conversation. Yeah, a lot to unravel in the space time continuum. <laughs> So, is, yeah, uh, fresh fresh views, Zeke. What, you've what you, watched mm, it twice? I've seen it twice, yes. I've seen it an hour ago. Yeah, so time, <laughs> exactly. From a timeline point of view, we're covering every every conceivable reality. That is true, of, of different opinions. We can't get the one from 100 <laughs> years from now, but maybe we could edit it I, in afterwards. I find this funny. So this is obviously from the... Uh, the Daniels. The Daniels. So, Swiss Army man. Yes. Is there. Sort of My there. baby. <laughs> Your baby and the film they're definitely most synonymous with prior to this film. Yep. Um, I think it's their only feature, isn't it? Um, I think I think that was their first feature together, yes. Yeah, because there's like other ones where they've got like massive... They did music videos and that. Yeah. They've done a lot of stuff, so they've been around for a bit. And I know, I can't remember which Daniel, but one of them did a, a solo directorial film a few, a few years ago. And then, of course, this is their second... Like return to the table together, making yeah. the film. So this this film obviously combines wacky with sincere, puts the two <laughs> together, much like Swiss Army Man does a very similar yes. thing. Yes. Um. Yeah. So it's really funny because <laughs> between the Swiss, I know we haven't done Swiss Army Man on the show, but we've yeah, done two films yep. that pretty much could be smushed together, I think, and create oh. this film. Okay. And they were title episodes, so week of film, film of the week. Yeah. And that would be I and I'm gonna pitch this. They were both in the 30s. Can you guess the two films? I think 
In the like, f- what, 1930s? No, no, they what? were in our 30s oh, right. episode. Oh, wow, so that's a while ago. This is nearly three years ago. Um, well, The Matrix, definitely. Yep. That we what do you the think Matrix. the other one is? Um, it's in the 30s so I'm also. trying to remember. It's, it's not Nightingale. <laughs> it's not Joker. No, but it was the week after I would put this with. I would put this with Coy Nascotzi meets The Matrix. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, so 32 and 39, I think that is. Um, or 37. It's... Yeah, I think 30. See, now I'm just getting all yeah, mixed up. But I know they're the two I'd put here. with this, I'd say. Interesting, yeah. Sort of the surrealism vibrance of Akoya Nascotsi, especially yeah. when you start to get into the the latter the, stages uh, of the film, the when it gets very... <laughs> when you're staring at a couple of rocks. Um, yeah, yeah. And obviously The Matrix is definitely the more... This is like the film The Matrix wanted to be. I've, yeah, I've actually heard that exact quote from people of like right. the Matrix wishes it was this film. Yeah, like, which, yeah. To to be fair, I, I I thought the Matrix was good, and and that is it. <laughs> the, the Matrix is. I don't think the Matrix. I, as someone who's now watched that film, it's on the telly like all the time. My mum has mm. now watched it. Like walked in her watching it. Like it's so the biblical and honestly the over the top nature of the love and the want. Like it just doesn't sit well with me the lot like sure yeah the more i've seen it whereas like something like this that's very much pushing some very similar themes mm. um just handles it a little bit more with to an extent like a, a kind of a disney undertone that like sometimes with the power of family and love um i think is there um Although, oh, I guess so. I don't mean that's, that's necessarily a Disney-coined no, <laughs> expression but anymore. No, but it's like family values sort of thing. I sure, think. yeah, that's called family values. I mean, it predates a while, but but I think... I mean, there's a, there isn't a ton that this film is, like, thematically commenting on, and I don't think it's all that different from Swiss Army Man in terms of its imagination, in terms of the message it's trying to give. That was one of the things I loved about Swiss Army Man, was this, this idea of just self-acceptance and that being weird is okay, and... And the way the way they portray that is so interesting. I really wish I had time to rewatch that in this last week to talk about the Daniels. Not that this is a director's corner, but I think you know you have that you have that family um, connectivity and the and the the driving sort of character force of this, especially for Michelle uh, Michelle Yeoh's character, is to save the relationship between her and her daughter, save the relationship between her and her husband, um, and of course you know her and her father as well. There's there's you know things there for them yeah. to <laughs> clear the clear the air as well in terms of those relationships but i think the the widest scope of this film because it is a gigantic massive film as the title would imply of course that there's all of these themes as well as of existential dread and purpose and what is our personal purpose and what is the purpose of relationships that we hold dear to us and i think the second time especially, because I was frankly exhausted. I walked out of that first screening just exhausted. I imagine you felt the exact same way. Yeah, um, before we even jump really into the mm. film, I don't know how this hasn't even come up remotely, but there needs sure. to be an epileptic warning for this film. <laughs> and I mean that in all seriousness. Yeah, like, yeah. If you suffer from epilepsy, do not go to this film, I think, because yeah. there are points in it that even my eyes are going damn like like yeah, yeah i had to look away and particularly a, a latter stage um right uh, Some, I, there's I a lot of flashing and stationary sort of was it motion lapsing isn't that what it's called when it's oh with the the frames yeah 
Is that what it's called? Okay. Motion lapsing? Hyperlapsing. Oh, yeah, there's definitely hyperlapse stuff. But then, well, I think like the hyperlapse is when, when it's a stagnant image, but then the stuff in the image is moving fast. Round, yeah. I mean, you're, you're referring to the basically with the, the full face in the frame, and then it's just constantly cutting between yeah, it's many, like a many, 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 many variations. Yep. Yeah. Um, like a slideshow montage. But yeah. It's like rapid different uh, Evelyn's, and then it even goes beyond that as well. There's yeah. tons of that. And I actually did think that as well, as I probably should ask her if she was uh, epileptic before getting getting mm. into this film because um, you're right there are a few scenes that are just yeah it's weird because it's like simulated. I think back to Incredibles 2 and that was how, the same yeah but then they put that one in and then I remember seeing it and I was like oh yeah I can see where this is it's not terrible whereas in this one I was like there should be oh, it was pretty bad in Incredibles 2 it, yeah, yeah. I, I think both of them you're probably right there should have been a so if you do suffer from epilepsy probably don't watch this film or at yeah. least go in weary yeah, I feel like yeah. that's going to that's going to come up at some point. No, I definitely have. I do have a, a friend with epilepsy that I probably actually should give them a heads up because I they will probably want to watch this film at some point and be like, just <laughs> just so you know. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, quick stuff. But yeah, back to what you're saying. Yeah, well, I think it has so much to comment on about those interpersonal relationships, but then how we ju- we as people just go about life, and I think it does get a little. I think I think the third actor gets a little bit I don't want to say on the nose because it's all very sweet and very purposeful and it's all done excellently. I think there's quite a f- couple too many lines of just kind of spelling out the be kind to each other and the yeah um this idea of of the existential dread that particularly Joy has and we'll get into all the the characters and what they represent in that field. But for the most part, I liked it the more the second time I saw it. It just it clicked a bit more for me in terms of mm-hmm. the the self-awareness of how silly this film is um which again is something i absolutely loved about swissami man it just feels like there's so many more like costumes and props and and locations and settings and way more of that this time around i don't know how this film was even made yeah i i definitely have to think like my first takeaways were stylistically mm. this film is like phenomenal yeah and even it's its sense of flow and yeah, I, I really appreciated the pacing um, the second time. It around. really shows, like, it somehow manages. So, what it, why I think it's the film that The Matrix wishes it what like should mm. like wishes it could have been. Yeah, was because of that thing like flow. Like, I really do think the Wachowskis were maybe they were bogged down by the producers of the time, or or honestly, they just weren't in a world that was ready to be that bold when it comes to, like, I think cinema. it's more the second one, but go, yeah. but go on, yeah. Um, but obviously, this film is very bold, and it's... I went and saw it with um, Lucinda, and obviously, very brave film for me to take her to, <laughs> who's, you know, very open to things, but doesn't sure. like subtitles, um, mm. and is way more what I, you know, a more traditional cinema goer. Yeah. Easy yeah. consumable entertainment. And her immediate reaction was, I came out of it and that was whack, but I understood everything. And I was like, okay, well, that's really yeah. good. Yeah. That despite all of this, like this, literally this coin a Scotsy level of scope. Yep. Yep. And, and even the, I mean, the comparison, like uh, the, obviously the direct parables to thing like 2001, which are so in there. There's a, in- there's, <laughs> there's a, there's a, a I know brilliant, there's a brilliant 2001. It's a great, it's a great yep. joke, but yep. it's also even the, the, the time continuum, like especially that last act yeah, is yeah. so present in this film. Like 
this whole like you are everything and nothing like there's even like during the flash moment you were talking about there's literally of like a frame of it's like melancholia with the two worlds colliding yeah. like that's the scope well, we're talking a, about but i wasn't gonna be surprised if we saw baby baby evelyn like right I, yeah, like yeah. at the end like i would be like yeah that makes sense this, yeah well this... yeah, we we get baby evelyn's pov pretty early on yeah when she's in the elevator it's like i'm sorry it's a girl <laughs> Yeah, and I I do really like like I was like okay well, the two thousand and one thing is very apparent here like it's it's the there's the use mm. of of circles and cyclical frames is just yeah, yeah. like it's very clever filmmaking. My biggest attractions from the film and probably why I do think I although I didn't wasn't the biggest fan of like the last fifteen minutes of Swiss Army Man. I think I prefer Swiss Army Man's structure, plot, flow. Mm. I think this film has the John Wick 3 effect. I think some of the action sequences end up bloating out the story a little bit sometimes for right, me. yeah. Great action choreography. Mm. But it's sort of like how I felt with John Wick 3 especially, like with the bit when um, was it Halle Berry comes in with the dogs and it goes for like 20 minutes and you're like, okay, we get it. Okay. You, you yeah, trained yeah. these. You, you're really good with choreography. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I mean, with John Wick, for me, it's, it gets away for a little bit more because that is what John Wick is, is these action sequences. You want to see them chained up. I, um, but here I understand it being a bit more of a problem how elongated some of the action, as fun as they are, yeah. but I don't disagree with you there that there could have been a little trimming just here and there. Yeah. Everyone I've talked to, including like my sister, and, and they're all like, it does not feel like two hours 20. It feels way longer than two hours 20. Yeah, it's it feels bloated. I think you could probably cut this down to 150 like one hour 50 mm. and you'd have a really good a really potent powerful film like you said the ending's particularly prominent for it because it's like you almost need that scene with the rocks because it gives you a breath like it gives yeah, you a scene yeah. where you finally can be like oh i'm okay with watching just subtitles and rocks for like <laughs> five minutes um and I think it shows the scope of this film, the fact that it can be absolutely absurd, yet still get the same emotional gravitas from yes. two rocks. <laughs> um, and I think the I laughs like and the tears, big yeah. tick with that, but it's it's like little things. Like, I wish I had known ahead of time, and this is my fault, that it was like the Daniels, because I like some of their humour, but some of it for me is a bit too crude. It's like, very crude. And this silly. goes that little bit too far from my my taste right um, and i actually do think that will detract away from some viewers like yeah that's that's fair enough i like, mean it's pretty full-on in this like absurd. i mean there's some of the some of the stuff i know you're referring to just had me in shock as i was lo- i mean now so the the first screening i saw it was was an outdoor cinema and that was like it was pretty packed and the sound wasn't great a lot of them like musical moments especially like when alpha uh, wayman is like his first fight scene with yeah. the iris guards like i could t- i was like this meant to be music here and it's just so soft in the the speakers there so when i watched it the second it's like okay yeah. there it is um but that first time also had a better audience and they were just dying at some of the uh those <laughs> those fight scenes we don't know which ones i'm talking about <laughs> i and i i just think they're just that little bit too and it's like that it's yeah. one of the things it's i was trying to explain this to lou because obviously you know it's it does get quite to be honest it, it can be a little uncomfortable that level of of crudeness for some people and sure. i do respect that it goes from a, a film you can show your family to a film you can't show your family um <laughs> 
<laughs> and um, fully agree, endorse that. And uh. I, I think it's one of those things that I was trying to explain. It's that international comedy, though. So it's like in some cultures, yes, yes. that sort of humor is like their toilet humor is really funny to them whereas that might be lost in translate and we have to we have to talk about like the diversity of both the film the both the filmmakers mm-hmm. and the this is like and obviously the cast this yeah. the cast and then also just from a general like this is western society meets in it's pure internet this is pure international cinema mm just because it's predominantly in English or it's part, like, half in English, half in, in Chinese. Yeah. It's a bit like the farewell in that sense, but... It's obviously far there, more. There was, there was enough English in the farewell for it not to be eligible for the uh, international And Oscar. I think this is probably fit in the same... There's way too much English in this Yeah. Scene. Like, I remember my thing was, like, the fir- I remember saying, like, oh, the first scene's in subtitles. And there's obviously a bit more than that, but generally it is just the start of the film. Yeah, well, that subtitle heavy. Yeah, all of the cast are English speaking. Yeah, uh, yeah, Chinese or American Chinese. uh... I love um Evelyn's like you know her discussion with the pronouns, and then um, what's the term? There's the term in the IRS that she uh, gross negligence. She's like, what does that mean? Yeah, I like just the little subtle things of like Like broken English. Yeah, broken English. She's she's an immigrant, and this is part of her her story. And I like that it's not perfect, and her daughter is obviously a bit more fluent in English. I like those details in there. Yeah, yeah. Um, Even Wayman's a little bit more, um, like yeah, he's got a bit more of. understanding i guess of the, I think the language it, it come it, it's a really really great cast it took me ages to figure out it was jamie lee curtis like oh. just... <laughs> see that was the first time i ever heard of this film was she posted a thing of her character i was like oh what's this film the first time so i knew immediately i love how wacky jamie but... lee curtis is <laughs> oh, she's brilliant in the like... her screamer oh <laughs> Absolutely I love killer. how willing she's just being. Like she just yeah. throws like you know, and her character in Knives Out's like intellectual and sharp and Yeah, yeah. And then yeah. in this it's just like sausage fingers. There's <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> some great dumb humor in this film. I mean the sausage fingers the so the two thousand one sausage fingers like <laughs> recreation is that's one of the funniest moments in the film, yeah. easily. Yeah, the it's... other one, and I'm like, I feel like we're just jumping ahead because like it, it's so much fun to talk about. To be well, I, to yeah. be honest, I think yeah. the biggest talking points for this film, uh, it does its comedy hit because it it is built as a comedy. Yeah, um, it is funny. It is definitely a so funny. So d- does it hit there? And then stylistically, I think they're the two biggest points, mm. um, and even structurally. But then that plays into stylism, because at its core, it's just a family drama. That well, that's it with the structure. At its core, it's her in the IRS building, and she has to save her marriage, save the relationship with her daughter, save the business. Yeah. Um. So there's those elements there that are all interwoven into the the interdimensional stuff. The thing is, every time that she develops an ability, or she you know does basically interacts with something mm-hmm. that causes her senses and her brain to trigger another version of herself that then takes us to that world so basically every time she does that every time she gains an ability there's a new story thread that exists so structurally it really is like a tree that just spans out into several different branches mm-hmm. um that all that's i think that's part of the reason why the ending just feels so like um overwhelmingly packed is because by the end there's what like 15 narratives they have to all tie Quickly together tie into together. one thing yeah. yeah and e- and each of these different worlds has a different sort of 
genre or even directorial aesthetic. Like yep. it, you got the Wong Kai um, Wai sort of. Oh yeah, I'm just. Oh, I love. I love it that we were like we get that because we did Fallen Angels. Yeah. So we caught that straight away. I love that, and it's yeah. We, when as soon as I was like, yep, that's that bit. Like um, <laughs> the, how gorgeous, the, how gorgeous the, the night, the nighttime is photography. There is just yeah. Cool. I'm just sitting there. Oh, well, they, they even do like the um the, the motion greenish, effects blur, yeah, the greenish the blues slider. and yeah. yellows. It's just like. Mm. Kill to make a film that pretty. Yeah, um, the the Rakakuni stuff is that kills I just, me every for time. For me, yeah, it, it's good. <laughs> it's uh, so for funny. me, the comedy I do think sometimes just overstays as well. It plays into that bloatation side. Like the sure. Rakakuni thing's really funny in the first bit, and it's still funny in like latter. But that like the final, like you said, that final sequence because you have right. to wrap so much up. You're just like, oh my god. There's been about eight different endings to this film, but then there has to be eight different endings to this film. So, yeah, I think I think emotionally it does work really well. It's like you said, you have that obviously the rock sequence, very avant-garde rock sequence. It's, it's like a slow down moment of like, okay, I can catch my breath. And another one, strangely, is it, it's overlapping all these different stories, and there's so much noise and 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 music and everything sort of bombarding you. And then it cuts to Joy's like screaming in the parking lot, and they're like that that bit of a transition right there was such a great like. Okay, let's focus back on one. Mm. I think if I am correct, no, no, I don't think that's true. But there, you can tell the little montage bit when you're like, okay, that's it, no more multiverse story. Mm. It actually was like, oh, that's it. You can almost see the cut and be like, oh, the rest of the film's a straight laced thing but I, I thought the way that they emotionally tie all of those together it is bloated and exhausting but to effect and i think mm. the fact that the daniels have the confidence to like have this emotional scene and then constantly cut to this raccoon animatronic <laughs> thing that just makes me laugh every time i see it like that is confidence and i think it works I, it evidently works because it's got that such a high score. Well, it was for most people. It's yeah. also that like it's allowed to be a little bit more stupid and absurd because yeah. their power is so over the top that the stupid and, and weird, like the the crazy amount of outfits Joy goes through in that yep. one sequence, <laughs> just doing like channeling all these different lives and stuff. Yeah, and it does walk that entertainment and then menacing side. It's for me though. Yeah, it's its comedic tone is it hits the mark most of the time i just think yeah it, that comedy also isn't for everyone yeah, it, yeah i mean it's it's crude and 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 vile and yeah there is that and i think because yeah there's, there's definitely toilet humor humor that i'm not like a huge fan of i actually mm. kind of can't even point put my finger on what it is about the daniels because for me again swiss army man that all worked for me as well the humor and the, mm. the but it didn't work for humor. everyone it doesn't work for everyone. I'm I trying to like identify what it is about the Daniels that for me, it doesn't bother me. Yeah, and it almost does add to the experience. I, it is. I guess it is the self-referential silliness of it. I don't know. I really well, can tell you. A, I mean, at the end of the day, the undertone of nothing really matters, and um, but everything really matters. So it's like yep. it's those little moments, but also seeking that there's futility to life. There are things you can't control, and that's okay, despite yep. the fact. These characters have complete and utter control, but they have no emotional 
resonance or in them and I, I brought up that this is coin disgusting meets matrix but it's also like an inverse lego movie like the fact that she's <laughs> that's the whole thing it's like everyone's everyone's special but no like the fact that she's so yep. unremarkable is what makes her the most remarkable i was like wow it's just the lego movie isn't it? <laughs> even the psychedelic transferring to worlds it's like oh um but yeah look it, i think for me it's biggest plus is it's sort of thing the, the way it plays around with sounds really great mm-hmm. and it scores really entertaining the scores but amazing, style yeah. it from a cinematic point of view i think it's just easily the most important it's creation of flow is what makes it feel like all these worlds really are interconnected yet mm-hmm. completely isolated yeah. and that's true testament to how considerate they have been with a script to screen like pre-production yeah pre-production yeah. product pro, like process because it flows so well even the playing around with aspect ratios like moving yeah. from that 16.9 to 2.35 one when um yeah i think is, about, is it, it's it, when alpha it widens i think when yeah when alpha wayman starts to fight and i think it does it very subtly throughout the film yeah as well the different aspect but you're right it's, it's to do with the tone of the different worlds that we're visiting yeah um it's even just like little thing like playing and then humor of like having really dramatic moments of them jumping through these realms and then they're two pinatas trying to like yeah yeah have potency or they're scribbles on a page like or they're just rocks. There's a great um photo on on Michelle Yeoh's Instagram, where um I think it's like the second photo, so you have to like scroll through it. But it's basically the script that she had with all the different little coloured sticky notes on every single page for you know which universe does this represent, what emotion is this representing, or or genre. I think they actually broke it down not by I don't think they necessarily sat down and, and said like, okay, we're gonna we'll make sure to do the Wong Kai Wai reference. They probably got there at a certain point, but I think they wanted to start with, all right, well let's do, you know, love. Let's cover that theme, and then let's cover sadness. All right, let's cover. Um, I can't remember all the. Um, it, it was emotions though. They mm. covered different emotions. That was how it was all labeled on the script, which I thought was very interesting. Yeah. That that's how they broke it about apart. I suppose. It is funny though because I walked away from the film, and one of like my first my first immediate reactions, mm. which was resonated with Lou, was I really really liked that film. It was a little long, and I don't know if I'll ever need to watch it ever again. It's sort of like I interesting. It was the same sort yeah. of resonance I had when I watched Coy and Scotty. I was like, wow, that was so prolific and interesting. I've done that in my life now. <laughs> <laughs> I've watched the thing that can't like. Right, it's sort of like conquered this journey. When I yeah. walked out of something like Parasite, I was like, "That was so enthralling and engaging." Yeah, and obviously, the only reason I'm comparing these two films is they're now one and two on Letterbox, so this has got to be up yeah. there for a reason. No, exactly. I mean, we compared um, them earlier. The fact of the show. So, <laughs> but then I watched Parasite. Like, I can see myself watching Parasite in the next five years again. Like, right. Being like, "Yep, that was that was really masterful, paced well," and it's. That's sort of for me, like that's got to play into it. That rewatchability. Um, I mean, you've but then you've watched it twice in a week, so rewatchability yeah. wasn't a, a farcical experience. Well, in for terms you. of like specific moments, the only real one I got out of a second viewing, because in, in terms of the the actual logic behind all the um, the what's it called verse swapping or verse jumping, Ooh, verse or jumping, the, yeah, the the actual logic. But I actually got that pretty quickly during my first watch. Of like, yeah, okay, well, it's like these sensations that are caused or this memory that allows you to jump to another version of yourself and blah blah. Like all of those technical things, it's like are cool understood. ripple effect stuff. Like, yeah, yeah, and I think they visualize in such a really clean yeah. way that I think that that works on the first go. 
the only one I got is literally when Jamie Lee Curtis turns around and shows her like employee awards and I just started laughing because like oh I know what those are used for <laughs> later in the film yeah. I was like the one specific like oh haha callback but in terms of I think there's a lot of little thing. I actually wrote this in my letterbox review I think there's a lot of jokes that we get caught on those Facebook like every frame from everything everywhere Facebook pages where it's literally they break it down frame by frame and there's, I'm sure there's like little jokes in the writing and things that mm. the right I'm sure there is but I will say from a second viewing other than just like a deep appreciation of the structure of it yeah I didn't get anything too specific in terms of Easter eggs I'm sure there's lots of things in there but um, or even just her um, drawing the circle into the receipt I'm like oh that looks like the circle that as you said, is is echoed many, many times throughout the film. Yeah, the, the cyclical nature of things, the yeah. inevitability of of eternity that a circle has, and yeah, um, I mean, most people just rewatch again because they had such a fun time. Yeah, I don't think they're going to miss much on yeah, the first go. Yeah, I don't go. think it sort of has like the you need to go back and watch it because you're going to get a new understanding of it every time, like something like a Space Odyssey has. Which, sure. Yeah. Um. I also think, yeah, another adept comparison because they reference it in the film and mm. then obviously there's a cyclical nature of that film and, you know, we have a whole episode dedicated we to did, that film. We did that episode, yep. So <laughs> it, it's, um, yeah, I, I definitely think there's that appreciation there too. Um, obviously not really having, after a certain point, after a very early on point, there really isn't a villain as per se, in the last act, well, I de- like there's not really any because good... I guess the reveal it's almost like a midpoint reveal because it's part two everywhere. Yeah. yeah, um, is that Joy's not necessarily trying to kill Evelyn or kill her mother so much as she just wants her to understand the feelings that she has, which yeah. again, is that existential dread. Which I I equate to this. Mm. I I can't believe I haven't even said it's this yet. Interdimensional but... seventeen again. Yeah. <laughs> oh no. Um, well, the, the, you you actually mentioned this a bit earlier because you said you did, with the Matrix you didn't think it nailed one of two things, and my guess is that it's more to do with the audience of the time. I don't think this film could have been made or or done as well as it has before today, and I think that is more so a reflection on not the film's quality, although like structurally and 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 stylistic and all of those elements apply. But I just think the audience today, and again, this is why I think it's number one in Letterboxd. It's, I don't know if I necessarily agree with that score at all. The directors of the film don't even. They've come out and said, we don't think we're better than Parasite or The Godfather. Like, like thank you, but also we're confused. <laughs> mm. Which I appreciate them coming out and saying that. But I think the audience of today is so ready for a film that's this... Um, I don't even say multiversal because it's so obvious. It, it it literally came out between two giant Marvel films that are both about multiverses. You got Spider Man December, and then next month is Doctor. Yeah, Strange. but they're not really about multiverse. They're multiverses. Well, they're multiverse to enable cameos, and whereas this is sure, something that's this not is about saying something about life and how we go about life. Yeah, and the sort of futility of decisions, which is why we should, which. The futility of decisions that's meant to grant us levity because mm. not everything is the end, be all and end all of the world. And we sure. should just appreciate what's in front of us, like the immediate reality we live in, not in the realities that we desire in our heads. Yeah. Well, it's sort of a combination of the two things with obviously her husband representing 
I guess I would call it painful optimism <laughs> is what he represents yeah. and the be kind to everyone. And then, of course, the daughter representing, frankly, it's just, that's just a deep, dark depression. And I think yeah. give it to the Daniels to represent that through a bagel, <laughs> through some a, food. A deep, dark bagel. It is a very deep, dark bagel. Which is exactly it. Maybe it wasn't a bagel at some point. With If we're talking Daniel's humour, it probably was an <laughs> arsehole. It was probably an arsehole in first draft, let's be real. Yeah, quite possibly, that's it. But and, I, and I, Would I be wrong to assume that? <laughs> no, no, seriously, you might you might be onto that. And they were like, oh, maybe bagel was like funnier. I don't know. Yeah, they could have. But... Probably, there probably was a point where the producers were like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Joe and Anthony Russo, they, they produced yeah. this. Uh, or a couple of the producers. Um, I think the way that that Evelyn sort of combines those two things takes the existential dread of the daughter who who I think and again part of the reason I don't think you could have made this film earlier mm. I think the fact that it's, it's almost a Rick and Morty thing as well as like the character of Rick like even no, the, even knows the South, everything like the South Park awareness too like it's there well more so just like so hyper aware of everything yeah. that you realise that nothing matters yeah. and like that is a Rick and Morty trait yeah. for sure and I think I think the Daniels were aware of that and sort of actively ignored it, being like, we're just going to make our thing anyway and hopefully it, it sticks out. And I, I think it definitely does. But... I think I, it sticks out more so. Oh, definitely. I think... It's... I'm kind of... I'm actually losing my thought right now. <laughs> no, I, I, I look to sort of build on your point. I agree, like, with the whole um, Rick and Morty comparison and stuff. I think it stands out more because, once again, it's... it's um, it's people and when you start to do things in real time you start to ground it even if it's in a f- pure scientific fiction realm like a sci-fi realm then you still ground it in some reality when you have actual humans performing human emotions on mm. cartoons not saying that cartoons can't do that because you know um, oh well it's can. shocking this film isn't a cartoon because of how bizarre it is bold yeah and I, I, and I think I think my point is starting to come back to me oh thank god is that we as an audience nowadays and this is actually something me and Kirsty were talking about last night because she had a different reaction to it than my assumption that most people had the reaction to is people are so we live in a technological information age where we have so much information ready at our fingertips I think that idea that we as an audience are so used to the way that we consume digital content nowadays even like with TikToks and all these short form medias and, and how everything sort of jumbled together to to grab our attention i think mm. the audience is ready for a film that's this sort of whiplash uh, in terms of its tone and, and how much is happening all at once yeah. on the screen but as well as the existential dread of, of joy who was just so hyper aware of everything that she's just like screw this i can't handle this anymore and i think a lot of people feel that way nowadays with how much information's out yeah, there i mean I all the stuff really, that's a really astute takeaway yeah um and maybe this, yeah, it's the timing of this film. I do like that they've come out and said that they're not as prolific as some of the best pieces of cinema on the planet. Because <laughs> I don't even know if I like this film more than I like Swiss Army Man, and I'm not. Even I, not I like, I'm not. Yeah. I'm not even on the five, you know, five star great amazing sure. film train. But yep. I think I like the tightness of it more, and the real overt embracing the weird and. Futil- like futility of mortality is literally on the nose in that um whereas um this is sort of like just a very it's a lot to take in this film and, yeah um, i don't i don't think exhausting is a bad word but this film is definitely exhausting yeah it's overwhelming yeah too. and yeah. um 
at times can actually be quite nauseating just in terms of how much it is to take in, which is sort of like they said in this information age is can be nauseating having to take in all the awareness of the world we have around us. Um, yeah. And that'll only get more so with time. But like I, like I said, I enjoyed the film. Do I think this film warrants 4.6 on Letterboxd? Eh, probably not in my opinion. Um, yeah, I think it's more indicative of the audience than it is the film's quality, that score. Yeah. And this is, but this then again talks about futility things. It's something as as um, subjective as a score. So, mm. um, really enjoyed the film, um, but yeah, that's pretty much all I've got to chime in on. Have you got anything else you'd like to add? Yeah, that's fair enough. I will go through it. I I do. I did write this down. Point. I I was. Oh man, th- this film is so much. It's like it's hard to <laughs> even keep track of my own points. But I think the way the thing I was talking about where she, Evelyn's able to combine those two. The painful optimism of her husband and then the the existential dread and just the hyper-awareness of everything and everything everywhere yeah, um, all at once uh, that her daughter has. And that that's totally combined when she gets that third eye and puts on her for the, the googly eye, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And um, um, basically, it, instead of just fighting these people, which like you said, there's an exhausting amount of fight scenes, of elongated fight scenes in this film and that it does end with her instead of fighting... Um, she basically achieves their their dreams of art. She gets the these power of two love. together. The power yeah. of love, exactly, yeah. and like finding this guy the right sex toy, and, find, <laughs> and finding yeah, like all these different pleasure. satisfaction pleasure, pleasures, happiness. exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, so I thought that was a nice way to tie those two different characters and their our views is have Evelyn sort of combine it with that third eye and make it. Yeah. She is the third eye in this trio of characters, so to speak. Yeah, but yeah, but no, um, I agree with you. I, I love the. I thought the soundtrack was excellent. Um, the thing I have to talk about though with the raccoon is that I didn't know this. That's actually Random Newman, Randy Newman playing the raccoon, <laughs> which I definitely didn't pick up on. That's absolutely brilliant. <laughs> oh god! Maybe that's why they're singing. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I found it in the soundtrack. There's a full like three minute song that Randy Newman sings as well <laughs> of raccoon, which is just brilliant i will pose you one question before we get into our highlight scenes okay um so this is something i read as well in the trivia which i didn't know makes a lot of sense to me but i'll read it so at one point the daniels actually considered evelyn to have undiagnosed adhd with the intention that she was so distractible during the film that she could tap into other universes now i think they pulled back on this for a couple reasons Uh, well the main one being that it was a bit insensitive Mm. And so. this an ADHD is too subjective, uh, well, too spectrally different. Sure, to really yeah. ever. Yeah, it's I, too. I, it's, uh, yeah. yeah, I see what they're doing, and it's funny because last night in Soho does the exact same thing with schizophrenia, which I was like, where have I heard this? And I was like, oh yeah, but I also know some people, I think including yourself, weren't huge fans of of that being sort of the. The uh the superpower well, cause well yeah it's just cause for illness or yeah um cause for illness, or, yeah the superpower yeah stuff. I mean that's the exact rain, word it's that the we rain used. man effect it's right. the rain man effect like how yeah it's a very soft way of dealing with something that can be quite ADHD obviously from a from a spec mm. like ADHD is ADHD and schizophrenia but schizophrenia has obviously got way more uh malicious effects sure, on, on yeah. the person. So it's probably would be less... It just would sort of 
be an odd odd thing to touch it wouldn't really encapsulate the themes of the film i guess if, yeah it, it definitely seem, it ADHD. just seems like a neat idea i see what you mean but yeah. it doesn't say much about the wider themes of the film the reality is she's on autopilot for the first act and then they sort of yeah. throw away well, the autopilot concept well, I wouldn't even call it autopilot so much as, like, they do such a great job in those opening sequences of just showing how much is going on in her life with, again, the relationship with her husband, mm-hmm. her daughter, her father, and then the business that's, like, on its last legs. And the fact that it's all crumpled into the same building. She yeah. lives upstairs and has to go up and down and the clothes are missing and things are being left everywhere. And, you know, her daughter's trying to come out to the granddad. She's trying to sort of block that, but this would be a good... There's so much going on and the yeah. film really encapsulates that, that... Um, that isn't ADHD because that's just someone trying to manage a bunch of situations that are completely unmanageable. And what's funny about that as well is that Daniel Kwan in particular actually found out that he himself had undiagnosed ADHD while working on this film. So, oh, there you go. <laughs> so that might be the other reason that they got rid of it is, Oh, maybe, maybe there's something here that we shouldn't really touch. Yeah. Into. A little too on the nose. Maybe potentially, but um, yeah. So Zeke, What's yes. your highlight scene for everything, everywhere, all at once? Um, so I had to think about this. I, I honestly do think, and I remember, so I was in, I didn't really talk about my screening experience. I mm. was only in the cinema with four other people other than Lou and I. And Okay. Honestly, I whispered over to her while the rock scene was playing, and I was mm. like, it's amazing. And obviously, in the when things are looking a bit dire, obviously the rock goes over the edge. Or even when the yeah. rock starts to, when Evelyn's rock starts to move towards the joy rock. And I was saying, it's like, this is what I find amazing about it. And you really convey the, the, the prominent important, the symbolic importance behind the googly eyes, the mm. embracing of silliness and stupidity and yeah. positivity and love and affection, which is Wayman's character through and through. And, yeah. um, I love the collection of, uh, different realms with Wayman delivering this exact theme through different monologues right. or actions or dialogues, whether that would be convincing um, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis's character... Right, to give another week. Because of for divorcing the... or yep. his or fallen convinc- angels where, where he's yep. talking about <laughs> his superpower is about being like positive and seeing the best and quietly going about his business yeah and that all translates over every single universe simultaneously the way that's in a yeah. cut and edited yeah and it's just i i do like the dialogue that joy and, and her have in the at the rocks looking out outwards and i even like the way they exit that scene where it's an empty and they both get up like they're mm. getting up from being rocks yeah and coming back to this sort of way station um sort of um <laughs> white or white way station between worlds it almost yeah. feels um sort of like trying purgatory. to think what film that that's definitely referencing oh i can't remember oh there's definitely a film but referencing that i definitely white, think yeah. that's a really powerful scene and even the, just the simplicity of it and it's a really good reprieve scene it's funny, out of all of that obscene craziness, I picked the scene with the two rocks. But that's <laughs> no, a no, I think it's fair because it stands out for being so, like, quiet comparatively yeah. to the rest of the film. I think literally as you were speaking, because I was like, that's definitely the obvious one is the, the, the rock exchange. And I was really, really trying to think of something else other than that. And I think I would probably go with the very opening shot just because it's such a great opening oh, shot where you're, you're looking through the reflection and... 
and then like the closing of the door causes the mirror to sort of lopsided a little bit and that gives us the angle that we then like fly into with the camera just just very clever opening scene to to show the three of them and the relationship they have prior and yeah no just a great way to open your film um even i don't know if it connects wholly to the rest of the film they 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 play with it a little bit at the start of part two but oh everything everywhere Mm. all at once yep it's currently out in cinemas near you that's the one speaking of cinemas jake what is new to cinemas and streaming platforms this week? Well, you mentioned it earlier. You love your uh, your stand-up specials, your 60 Minutes. So you we know. got a new one from David Spade coming to Netflix called Nothing Personal. So that's, that's exciting. Mm, Do you like David pers- Spade? I don't think I've ever watched any David Spade. Neither. Yeah, I've, obviously I've seen him in like the some Adam Sandler stuff. and He's got a, a bit piece. I think he plays one of the dads in Netflix's Love but he's not really funny in it. He's just kind of like the dad of a, a child star. Mm. So he's a bit of an asshole. but I don't know. I really have no opinion on mm. <laughs> David Spade. Um, we also have a documentary on Netflix coming out, which surrounds the death of the movie icon Marilyn Monroe in the mystery of Marilyn Monroe, the unheard tapes, and as well as the final episodes of both Grace and Frankie and Ozark, which oh, finally finishes go. this week. So I finished Superstore this week. Oh, very nice. Got to talk about it in the second half of the show. Because they yeah. just released the sixth season on oh, Netflix cool. and wrapped up that show. But I pretty much said all I needed to say in the first five sure. seasons. Very yeah. standard B show. Nothing wrong with it at all, but quality entertainment. Yeah, just enjoyable. Fair enough. Coming to Stan Sweet, we got films such as Breakfast at Tiffany's, Inseparables, and Event Horizon. Over on Prime, we've got Inglorious Bastards, Mud, The Hobbit Trilogy, and... So this is interesting... Because this comes to Prime and Binge. Is it Prime and Binge? Oh, sorry. No, 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 no. Excuse me. Prime and Paramount Plus. That actually makes way more sense. Is the Godfather trilogy. Now, this is the, I believe, the 50th anniversary version of the trilogy, which Mm -hmm. they've redone, and that includes the Godfather Coda, the death of Michael Corleone. So that's the third film, like re-edited a few years ago Mm -hmm. from uh, Francis Ford Coppola. And if you look at my desk over here, one of my desks, my bookshelves, you actually see I just bought the Godfather 50th anniversary box set. I see it right there. I'm pretty sure that's the exact version they're referring to. So that comes to Prime and Paramount+. Plus. You also got Apple TV's Shining Girls, which is a newspaper archivist played by our friend Elizabeth Moss. We we love Elizabeth Moss on this show. nothing wrong with a bit of Elizabeth Moss. Exactly. Whose dreams of becoming a journalist are put on hold after a brutal attack leaves her in a constantly shifting reality. That sounds familiar, doesn't mm. it? <laughs> well, see, you've got Mark or Break, which is a docker series that revolves around the world's best surfers. Did I write that? Mark or Break? That doesn't sound right. No, I don't know. Just go on Apple TV+. Plus. You guys mm. will figure it out. You're smart. You're a smart audience. They're smart. You're very smart. And coming to Binge this week, we have the season three premiere of Barry, which is a good show. As well as the series premiere of the new doco mini... Uh, sorry, not, definitely not a doco. The new miniseries called We Own This City, starring your boy, John Bernafold. So, he gets another lead position in the yeah, show. It's slow, slow trek to the top. <laughs> We're going to get there. Um, so, that sees the, uh, the the Baltimore Police Department's gun task force... T- gun trace task force. That's a lot of letters. Jeez. No wonder they hyphenate it. <laughs> Face the city of corruption. And this is also binge. You got the Equalizer one and two, the piano, which we covered just a few weeks ago, and a good meme film, from what I understand, Kangaroo Jack. 
So uh, <laughs> we're going to get our memes on while we're watching that one. And finally, coming to cinemas, it's actually probably uh, the quietest week in a while for cinemas. We have After Yang, which goes wide this week. I talked about it last week a little bit. Uh, and we got Downton Abbey, A New Era, which is the sequel to the 2019 film. As it, can you clarify something for me? What's up? With Down- <laughs> What's up, bro? With Downton Abbey. Yes. That's a perfect response to, can you clarify something about Downton Abbey? You're like, yeah, what up, bro? <laughs> <laughs> so I never watched Downton. No, the, the 2019 film, That's is that meant to be like the final... Yeah, now on the so it goes TV show, show yep. movie, and now a sequel to that movie. So yep. okay. that's how this is like an El Camino part two. Gotcha. Gah, that's a really good way to phrase it. I like that. There you go. El Camino part two. Yeah. Also known as Downton Abbey, a new era. Yeah. <laughs> that's it. Uh, very good. But that's all that's coming to cinemas and streaming this week. No dramas. We are moving into week two of our countdown through the decade mm. retrospective 2010s. Jake. Bit of a surprise this week. So what are we watching next week on the show? Yes, it was a very, very tight poll. We'll talk about it in just a second. But of course, we're going to introduce... Or should should we talk about... Should we announce the film first? What should we do? I don't know how we usually do it. um, Well, we can go through... What were the two films that we nominated? All right, fair enough. So the the two nominated films for the 2010s decade was Spotlight and 50-50. Slightly shorter titles than, (laughs) than the other two choices. Uh, now it was incredibly close, Zeke. It was the decision was made by one vote. Closest so far. Yeah, I think so. I can't think of any other ones. It was literally one vote made the made the cut, but it was eleven to ten. So audience, you got to pick up these numbers, man. Eleven to ten. Yeah. No one's voting, guys. Come on, let's do this. Yeah. Get but Jake, <laughs> who won? This oh I should say next week on the show, Zeke. We're talking about fifty fifty. I think you're making a big. Big mistake. What? Don't do this. What are you talking Please about? Please don't do this. You said you're, you liked you're this You're gonna idea. look stupid, You man. said you would you're do it. You're gonna look weird. Come on, let's just do it. Wait a minute, wait a minute. What do you use these for? My body? 27-year-old Adam, played by Jessica Levitt, is a radio journalist whose life turns upside down when he's diagnosed with spinal cancer. His chances of survival? 50-50. Uh, I said the title of the film. Oh, man. Did this win. I'm so <laughs> I wonder who voted for what. <laughs> is it, no, look, I'm not, I'm not going to. This is going to be. This is the Don John of <laughs> year three. It's been how many things since like, Don John episode 10? Yeah. We're, we're back. It actually is. It's like I like Joseph Gordon Levitt as much as the next guy. And I get you had like a. A, an era where you were oogly eyed over him, but how did this? How did this? Feel? Why didn't I, I put guess. Inception up? I should have put Inception up. Yeah, yeah. Look, I'm surprised. I thought Spotlight is definitely a much more known, popular film, and it's a great film. It won. I'm pretty sure it won Best Picture. <laughs> pretty sure. But um, fifty fifty. It does have a very special place in my heart, and it is. This was me really trying to think outside the box because 2010s, that's a hard decade. Yeah. Because this, I was thinking about this the other day. I think it's so hard for us because we, like, yeah, we have films we grew up with in the 80s, mm. you know, but I'm, I'm probably a lot of animated films and things like that. But I think yeah. the 2010s, that's, you know, you and me are going through high school, going for uni, and obviously we graduated, you know, at the, at the end of the decade or at the turn of the decade, I should say, February 2020. So it's like, I mean... As filmmakers, we've had such a big influence from the films from that specific 
ten year uh, decade. Mm. Not that not that decades are not ten years, but the, but that chunk of time really speaks to us. So I think yeah. that's why it's really hard for us to pick films um, from that decade. Because you're right, Inception could have easily gone in. Half of Nolan's category could have gone in. There was another one I was just thinking. I was like, oh, we could have done that, but. It, it's a tough, it's a tough decade, but yeah, I'm, maybe I am due to give this another another look in. Yeah, um, you got you gave it a favorable score on Letterboxd. Yeah. yeah, I'm just I'm just looking through the Jonathan Levine films I have seen. Oh yeah, that's a good um, point, Jonathan Levine. Well, I have pretty much seen anything that's <laughs> worth note on the. Oh really? Yeah. Oh, I've seen Longshot. I didn't know that was him. And Night Before. And Warm Bodies. I've seen those. Oh, well, well, there you go. Oh, and he did Snatch as well. That was another one I could have bought on Blu-ray, but but didn't. (laughs) No worries. (laughs) But until then, thank you for joining us for the Cinema Sideshow Podcast. I was Zeke. I was Jay. And we'll catch you next week with 50 